0: My name is Chris McCooley. Uh If you're a regular at Westview, you probably see me up here with a keyboard or a guitar sometimes. Uh, I'm, uh, I, in, in a previous church, way back when, I used to do a lot of uh, preaching and teaching. And uh, it's my honor to be sharing the, the Good Friday address with you um, this year. Good Friday, our, our, after, after speaking with some of the other staff, with Mike, with Ryan, um, really my goal... It, and our goal as a team is to bring, you, bring us as a church into worship, into contemplation of what Jesus had done for us. And we just want to take this time really to end back in worship, uh, to, to lift up Jesus. And just, uh, I'm going to go through a couple of thoughts about uh, the trial of Jesus before Pilate. Uh, we've gone through some of the scriptures. I'm just going to bring some, some other thoughts to add to it. And really our goal is to help you Help us all have some images and thoughts that will bring us back into worship. Does that make sense? Let's go for it. Let's let's look at, uh, um, well, we'll catch up up with the story just after uh, Jesus was arrested. You all know it was on Thursday night. He He was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he was taken to, um, to uh, the, the residence of Caiaphas. There was an emergency late-night meeting where they decided what they're going to do with him. It was a kangaroo court, if ever there was one. They decided they want to kill him, and then they started looking for charges against him. It's not supposed to go that way, if any of you have ever taken a law course. It goes the other way around, hopefully. But in this case, they just wanted to get rid of Jesus. And then uh, the next morning, they they decided they had found a charge they're going to present uh, that they're going they're going to make it stick. It's that he claimed to be a king, and what that means was that actually Jesus said, "Yes, I am the son of God." And in Jewish theology, the son of God was the king of the Jews. So that puts him up on charges of sedition. He's uh, he's pretending to be a king. Um, anybody who's trying to be a king in the time of of, uh, Tiberius Caesar. It was not going to go well for them. This should be an easy slam dunk. Um, And so we'll pick up the story in John 18, verse 28. And I'm just going to read the the section up till... up till the decision where they decide to crucify him. So we've gone through a lot of scriptures uh, so far. Let's go back through it. I think this is I think this is really the core of what Christianity is. When we look at the the gospel, uh, the gospel is essentially the combination of the crucifixion, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus. And that makes the distilled core of what the gospel is. So I think it's good that we just take some time and go through this. John 18, 28. So they they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. And it was early morning. This is Friday morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so they would not be defiled, but they could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered, if it uh, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Trying to avoid the, the, the question. Uh, Pilate said to them, take him yourselves, judge him by your own law. Uh, the, the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. So they didn't have that because they were, un- they didn't have the right to do that because they were under Roman law. And this was to fulfill the word that Jesus has spoken to show about what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called to Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, Did you say this of your own accord? Or did somebody else tell you this about me? Pilate said, Am I a Jew? Uh, Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world... The servant, my servants would have been fighting uh, and I might not, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. Verse 37, then Pilate said to to him, uh, so you are a king, Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside and the Jews told him, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Barabbas was a robber in other translations, it says, or in other uh, gospels, it says that he was part of an insurrection. Um, and now we now we cross the border into chapter 19, then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him uh, and this, the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. And they came up to him saying, Hail, king of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again to them saying, See, I bring bringing him out to you that you may know I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and, Je- and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Now I want you to just hold that that part right there. Hold uh, hold that, that um, behold the man. So I get you all actually just... Take a picture in your mind's eye of that moment where he brings him out and says, Behold the man. You've got the Sanhedrin here. You've got a crowd that's gathering. You've got got, uh, um, Pilate who is presenting Jesus with this crown of thorns and the royal robe. um, And bloodied and bruised. Just take a picture of that in your mind. uh, And and I'm going to refer to that one later if you can, please. Um, uh, Where is he? so uh behold the man and and when the chief priests and the officers saw him they cried out crucify him crucify him Pilate said to him take him yourselves and crucify him for I find no guilt in him and and the Jews answered him we have a law and according to that law he ought to die because he has made himself out to be the son of God and when Pilate heard this statement he was even more afraid he went into his headquarters and he and he said to Jesus where are you from But Jesus didn't give him an answer. So Pilate said to him, you're not going to speak to me? Don't you understand that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who has delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out Uh, and sat down at the judgment seat of the place called the Stone Pavement and in Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover, and it was about the sixth hour, so that would be about noon. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, "Uh, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to him, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So they delivered him over to be crucified. So... Pilate doesn't seem to be at any point convinced that Jesus is guilty of anything. In fact, at the beginning, he doesn't even know what the charge is. He asks the defendant what the charge is. That's, again, it's just backwards. You don't do that. Um, uh, but what's happening here is that Pilate is now going to try to neutralize the situation. And so what, what he does, he, he gets Jesus whipped, beaten. We already heard how they did that. There was, it was a nasty thing. Uh, the Romans were good at inflicting pain. That's part of the basis of their empire. Um, they, they studied it. They were good at it. Uh, they, they beat him and whipped him. Uh, and then they put that, they, they had somebody make up a, a crown of thorns. And the thorns that they were using weren't aren't your little roses, you know. They're like serious massive huge spiky thorns. Uh, and they they made it into some ugly sort of crown sort of thing. Stuck it on his head a robe on him and then he dragged him back out in front of them and says look behold your king behold the man if he was such a risk and this is this is this is what he means by behold behold the man he means if he was such a risk do you think i would i would have been able to do this to him really guys there's nothing here go home and and that behold the man where where Pilate is saying, look at Jesus again. Are you sure that you didn't miss something about him? Because I don't see him this. What kind of king looks like this? And in Pilate's mouth, it means one thing. But you have to understand, John, when he writes, he writes with irony a lot. In other words, he'll take what's being said and done in the story, but he'll turn it around to mean something completely different, maybe even the opposite. In this case... What these words, what John is using this story to do is take a stop at that point. Behold the man. Look at Jesus again. Look at him again. Did you misunderstand something about him? What kind of king looks like this? A very different kind of king. He's a very different kind of king. And I want to take a couple minutes and talk about what kind of king we're talking about here. How does this make sense that you can have a king looking like that? In John's eyes, it makes sense. In Pilate's eyes, it's ridiculous. So I'm just going to pray quickly, and we'll jump into looking at the, there's three aspects that I want to cover about how is this the king? Jesus, you're, you're awesome, you're amazing. We lift you up, Lord. I pray that you would help us to understand you better. Because of this, Lord, because of because of your sacrifice for us, Lord, I pray you would open up our minds, open up our understanding, so that we can know you more, Lord, and that we can go back to you in worship, giving you our lives in return. Amen. So, so uh, first of all, he's the King of Truth, and this I just take this straight out of the text where uh, where where he says. Um, um, verse 37 the pilot said to him so you're a king he said you say that i'm a king for this purpose i was born and have come into the world to bear witness to the truth everyone who is on the side of truth listens to my voice pilot said to him what is truth well um the, the idea of everybody who uh every everybody who um is of the truth listens to my voice. This is something that's thick all throughout uh, John. The idea of my sheep hear my voice. There are people who are who will hear my voice and people who won't. Uh, and 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 John is is or Jesus is saying uh, he's essentially turning this back on on Pilate and saying, Are you of the truth? Are you of the truth? You're a judge. You're supposed to be of the truth. Are you of the truth? Uh, but he's also, this is also what the the closest that we ever see Jesus to giving a defense. Because the concern that Pilate has, that he could have, is that somebody's going to be actually threatening the peace in Jerusalem or in, uh, in Judea, and that he's going to be causing, uh, he, somebody's trying to set themselves up as a king, pushing Pilate or pushing Caesar out, and a, a revolt. That's what he really does not want. And Jesus is saying, I have no intention of trying to take your job. That's not the kind of king I am. And in fact, it goes further than that. He's like, it's like he's saying, your kingdom is here. My kingdom is here. It's above yours. Are you going to submit to truth? And he says it later on. We, we see the same attitude where Jesus says to Pilate, you wouldn't have any authority at all unless it was given to you from above, meaning the Heavenly Father, God, who, he, who Jesus is serving. But this truth, this whole idea of truth, it's so deep within John, right, when he, throughout the whole gospel. This idea of truth, what is the truth that he's talking about? He's talking about truth means in John uh, the revelation about who God is. That's what truth is, basically. It's sort of short form for the truth is the truth of what God is about, what he is, his teaching displayed in Jesus. It's all—it's that revelation of God through Jesus. That's the truth that, 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 uh, that uh, Jesus is talking about. And it's a different concept than what, normal, what we normally think of as truth. Truth is like uh, it's right or it's wrong, you know, or it's morally right, it's morally wrong, or it's factually right, or it's factually wrong. The truth is, I, I drive a Kia Rondo. You know, like it's simple, basic truth. Uh, that's not what we're talking about here. Uh, truth has another meaning when when we're talking about Jesus. When He says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life," it's that it's that Jesus. Um, you, you can you can have you can have teachings, and the truth about God can be known in your head. So you can have, say, a teaching. Um, about it's right to, it's, God wants us to love our children, or God, God, um, you know, it, it, it's important that we are honest, whatever. Uh, the, these basic truths, but then they come alive in Jesus, who is the truth. They come alive. That What I mean by come alive is that they're put into practice. Um, for example, I'll give, just give you an example. It's right that I believe that we should be, I should love my children, right? But it really doesn't make any difference to anybody unless, say, for example, I get in my car at Friday night at 11 o'clock because they want me to go to McDonald's and I let Bethany drive. She's got her, her learner's license, so we're driving down, down the road and I pull out my card and I give the, uh, I, I pay them at McDonald's for McFlurry and then we drive back home. See, that's until I do something practical, that was last night, by the way. Um, uh, uh, I have witnesses. Angelina saw me. Um, until there's something, a practical part of truth, that where it really becomes true, it's not really the same thing as truth, right? So so let's talk about uh, another example a little closer to home, and it'll bring me into my, to my next point here. Uh, the, the truth... Um, The, the truth that uh, Jesus says that the greatest love that anybody can have is to lay down your life for your friends. And we can all agree, yep, that would be about the top, yep, uh-huh, we all agree, right? But it's not in truth until here, where Jesus shows up on Good Friday, and that's what he's doing. See, so that's another level of truth. When he says he's the king of truth, it's not just he knows how to say things that are right. So the truth is manifested really in him. Um, truth isn't always comfortable, and that's why he was in trouble. So one of the messages of Jesus and one of the messages at the core of the gospel is that our sin has separated us from God, and we, need, we needed somebody to die for us. This is not comfortable, but it's true. Right? And, and again, it's true to the point where Jesus is showing that it's true. He's showing up on Good Friday to do something about it. Um, let's, let's go into, uh, the next part of, of this, this king, uh, you know, behold the man, remember I asked you to hold that image. What kind of a king is he? He's the king of love. So he doesn't really talk about it much in this, in this passage. So what I'm going to do is, is, is I'm going to put a placeholder right here and kind of, I'm, i want to do sort of a, a, you are here, uh, for, for uh, the, his, the history of redemption and, the, and the, the bigger story of the Bible. Where is this story? Where does it fit in? The story where Jesus is about to get on the cross. And, and so I'll just take two seconds, well, two minutes to go back. Way long time ago, many, 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 many years ago, God created people. I'm not going to get into the whole how and why and all that sort of stuff. That's another discussion for Basil or Charlie. Uh, but the point is that God made people. He was behind the whole thing, and he did it for a purpose. And his goal was fairly simply, I'm overstating the simplicity of this. It's, these are long discussions, of course. But, but his goal was that he would have a people of his own, that he could dwell with them, that he would be their God. And that they would be his people. That's what he was looking for from the beginning. And uh, and that there would be a loving relationship be, between God and his people. And in order for that loving relationship to happen, what was required was that he give them the greatest gift he could give them, and that was fr- the free will to choose to be in relationship with him. Why is that so key? Because love isn't anything if it's not chosen. Right? Make sense? So, so... uh he gave them the choice to be in relationship with him or not. He gave them the choice to follow him and, and, and his plan for their lives or not. He was their creator. He had the right to say, I would like you guys to do this. Uh, but, but he gave them the choice. Now, uh, what happened is that from the beginning, all the way from Adam up to us, we have chosen to be separate, to be independent from God, to reject that plan of God for our lives. And uh, and there's a culpability there for that because God has a plan. God has the right to choose to tell us uh, that he wants this from our lives. And, we, and when we back away from that and say, I don't want that, there is a guilt for that. And there's a separation that comes, a separation from God that, that has come because of that. And um, and here we are now in this story where, where Jesus is is saying, look, there's a guilt that you have and i'm going to take it all on me on myself and pay for it myself so that you can come back into relationship so so that god wasn't surprised by any of this he knew that it was going to happen and so and so uh uh when when uh, part of the plan from the beginning was that Jesus, who is part of the Trinity, Jesus, who was born as a human, would, would come and offer himself to take the guilt. And two things would happen. One, uh, the guilt would be washed away. And two, it would produce love's response to love in us. And that we would respond to him out of love. Now, I, I want to add, I want to just say two things about this. One, when you think of this, when you think of the guilt of separation from god uh you, you may not and this whole concept of sin and i think charlie's going to talk about it a little bit more on sunday so please so please make sure you listen on that one uh, um i the the whole idea of sin is is, is a complex topic but the, but but basically i'm talking about a, a rebellion from the original plan of god uh, when we um uh just give me one second So, you may not think that uh, we are that bad that we need somebody to die for us. And I get that. We don't feel that. But I can tell you one person who does think that the situation was so bad that you needed somebody to die for you Jesus. He was pretty convinced. In fact, if there was any way at all that he could see a different way to bring you back into relationship with, with God, he would have been very happy to avoid the cross. Remember that discussion that prayer in Gethsemane? Right? So he was pretty convinced. And you may and number 2, you may not think that God loves you and that you are that valuable to him that he would actually do this. But I can tell you one person who is convinced that you are that valuable to God? Jesus. Right? And so there's this this sort of double whammy here. There's two two truths that come out of the cross. One is that uh, God takes very seriously our choice to rebel from him. And God takes very, very deeply to heart our value to him. It's this one-two thing that are, that can, we can never separate it. It's the it's the judgment of God on sin and His deep love for us at the same time, and I I know this is going to be a really really ridiculously weak example, but I think you can kind of get the point anyway. So bear with me. Okay, I was sixteen years old. Um, hold on, sixteen years old and thir- What on my birthday, I think. I went and got my learner's license, man. I wanted that. I was in the middle of nowhere northern BC, man. Like, there's nothing to do up there. I got to get me a license. And then 30 days later, back then, you could do 30 days. Now it's a whole year, I think. Uh, I came back, did my test, and I passed, and I won my car, right? So, a couple months later, um, I had two tickets. Uh, um, I had one for blowing a stop sign and one for speeding. Now, I could stand up here, because I have a mic. I could tell you how I don't think those are my fault. I'll I'll spare you that. Um, It's two of the only three tickets that I've ever had, okay? So, don't judge me. Um, uh, So, two tickets, and that's a lot of money for a (laughs) 16-year-old. And... I didn't tell my parents because I'm, well, I'm pretty embarrassed, right? I didn't want to tell them. And I had a pretty good relationship with my parents, especially, you know, my dad and I have always been pretty close. And and uh, and I'm standing there one day in, in the kitchen, and there arrives on the counter. Back then there was a lot more mail because we didn't use email as much. Well, didn't have it. Um, uh, mail comes in. Dad dumps it on the counter. And he, and and I see, oh, uh, with horror, there. there's two bills from the government with my name on it. <laughs> like, let me grab that. My dad saw it, and he grabbed it, and he beat me to it. And I'm like, oh, no. And um, uh, I don't know how he knew what it was, because it didn't say it right on the outside, but this is, this is a bill for tickets. But he looked at me, and he says, I got this. I'll cover it. I'm like, what? Like, one, how'd you know? And two... Thank you, now I don't, I don't have to cover it? You mean, and, and what it did was instead of allowing a shame there, okay, like I said, this is really tiny analogy, it's a really low scale compared to what we're talking about, Jesus on the cross here, right? But, but you get the point? Like, it, instead of being hidden, and like, trying to hide this from my parents, he's, he, he does, in one action, he does two things, exposes my guilt and covers it. Exposes and covers at the same time. So that's what's happening here with with the cross. exposes your guilt because he's the king of truth and covers it because he's the king of love. Right? Okay. Um, Okay, so he's the king also who suffered and is now glorified. So Pilate... um, Pilate, he brings out, like I told. I asked you to keep that, that picture in your mind, when he brings out Jesus, uh, and, and there's the crown and thorns and the royal robe and all that stuff, and he's bloodied and beaten. Now, freeze that image in, in your head for a second, and just, you know, look around in this scene, who are the other authorities? And it's really, if you do a political study on this, this is quite a fascinating little story. There's a lot of levels of leadership going on here. You've got God the Father, you've got Jesus uh, you've got the Sanhedrin. Let's just, let's just talk about what do they want? What are they doing this for? You've got Caesar. We've referred to Caesar a few times. So, what, they, uh Caesar was a megalomaniac. There's a if you look up the purge of of the Jews from Jerusalem from uh, from Rome. He was he was uh, he was despotic. He was uh, well like any. Anybody who keeps on getting told that he is the... He believed he was the son of God, and he was a bloody dictator, okay? So, so every there, there, that's what you need to know about Tiberius Caesar. Uh, he he uh, didn't go down in history as one of the nicer gentlemen on the planet. In fact, really, everything he did was self-serving in, as as the leader. Now, take Pilate. Pilate Pilate's concern, really, what he's got to do is make sure that there is relative peace, or that Pax Romana, it doesn't, it's not really peace, like we know peace, but at least no fighting, no insurrections, and just keep the taxes flowing up to Caesar, make sure he's happy, right? That's what he's got to do, and this is a little bit tricky for Pilate at this point, because apparently two years before this, there was a guy by the name of Sejanus, who, is, who was the, sort of the patron of Pilate, and he was, um, uh, the, in other words, the guy who put Pilate in place, uh, he was uh, he was sort of next in line for to be Caesar, but he um, it was found out there was a plot uncovered where it looked like where it found it was found out that he was actually plotting to assassinate Caesar. Of course, Caesar's not going to take to this very kindly, and he had him assassinated in in 30 A.D. and this is 33 A.D. now we're talking about. So Pilate is figuring, uh oh. <laughs> my link to Rome is a little thin because the guy that was over me or that put me in place uh, has fallen from grace and has actually been executed. So he's now on thin ice. Um, and, and the Jews, the Jewish leaders, know how to play to this exactly, right? So what do they do? They say, if you let this man live, you're no friend of Caesar. And he's like, uh, oops, right? So that's, he's doing everything Uh, for himself. At no point does he ever think that Jesus is worthy of death. And yet, he still uh, uh, sends him off to be crucified. This is all self-serving. The the Sanhedrin, again, all self-serving. What what are they doing? They're trying to remove somebody who's disturbing their, who's a threat to their peace. Uh, Jesus has confronted them publicly in the past. They feel dumb when he does that. uh, That he can... He can heal people. They can't. He gathers crowds. It's, so they're jealous, right? We read that from Matthew 27 tonight. Uh, Sarah read that. Uh, that it was obviously out of jealousy. So, so they are functioning out of self-serving desires. Uh, and I cannot trust a leader when I know. I mean, it's just so hard to trust somebody when you know they're working out of self-serving uh, motives. I, just Let's just go to the other side. I had an employee this week come to me. It's the annual salary review um, Oh, joy. And, um, and, the, and this guy, he, he sits down, and he's got a very gruff personality, which, which made it all the more beautiful. He, just, he's, he, he starts talking about this colleague of his. He says, you better make sure she gets a good raise. Okay. Because um, you need her in this company more than she needs you, <laughs> and she's been doing amazing work. And by the way, if you're not going to give her a good raise... Give her mine. And and it was just beautiful, right? It's like, you're not doing this for yourself. You're just doing this because you think it's the right thing to do. (laughs) And I loved it. And what it means is next time he has an idea, I am certainly going to be listening because I can trust him. It's not self-serving, right? So uh, um, what I want to do is, well, I mean, if you look at the situation, there's no real leader. They're all serving themselves. Nobody's serving the greater good. Nobody is looking to bring out truth, even. Nobody is uh, nobody is working for for the good in the situation. They're all looking for themselves. And what I want to do now is just take a couple minutes and just and just point out something. There's a link to this passage in the Old Testament that was. That uh, it's a bit obscure, but I think it's really actually quite fascinating. So, so let's have have a look at it. I'm gonna just—it's in Zechariah six. We'll put it up on the screen in a second. But I just want to give you a bit of background because it is a bit of an obscure obscure reference, but it's really quite powerful. So, so um, two things that two two truths. One is that the name Jesus actually in Hebrew would have been Yeshua, which is the same as Joshua. So it's the same name, Jesus, Joshua, same name, right? And um, the other thing is that as we read tonight, Jesus, uh, in John 2, he said that he said destroy the temple in 3 days and i will rise i will raise it up again and what he meant was himself in other words he is both the one who the high priest who will build the temple and he is the temple and what that means is is that both the, the priesthood and the temple himself, uh, the temple itself were the place and the way for god to commune with man and jesus is jesus is saying that's me right so that 's another sermon, but I just want to highlight this: Jesus is seen in John as the one who will build the temple and we're and we're taught throughout the bible or throughout the New Testament that Jesus is the high, our high priest, and that some of the this imagery comes up in this passage here and is, and it 's really quite a fascinating one what, what you'll see is that this passage is a prophetic um, prediction of this moment where where Jesus will stand before Pilate and, and Pilate will present him as, Behold the man. So uh, in verse, uh, yeah, verse 11, is that where we are? Yeah, okay. So, so this is Zechariah, the prophet, back 520 B.C. And the issue at hand is who's going to build the temple? Who's going to oversee building the temple? And the, the high priest Joshua at the time, or Yeshua, uh, is, is talking with Zechariah. And Zechariah, Zechariah tells these these guys, these workers, to take take silver and gold, and make a crown, and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of, Je- of Jehozadak, the high priest, and say to him, "Thus says the Lord. Uh, uh, the, thus, yeah. Thus says the, the Lord of hosts. Behold, the man whose name is the Branch, for he shall branch out from this place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. And, uh, it is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and bear the royal honor, and shall sit on his rule uh, on his throne." So this behold the man statement in verse, in verse 12, this is really quite fascinating because you have Yeshua, who is a high priest, and they're doing this very strange thing of putting a crown on his head, which you don't do with a priest because priests are not kings. It's a very, very distinct uh, ministry in, in, uh, in Israel. Um, and he's saying, you're going to build the temple, and he presents him as behold the man. And there's just this strong echo of what we just saw of Jesus in front of Pilate. Right? It's a very similar situation. You have, you have, the, the, you have a prophet saying to, to the high priest, Yeshua, behold the man who is going to build the temple. And, and you can't help but see this is what is going on in John. And the similarities are strong, how, but there's something, when you look at it, you go, wait a second... There's similarities, and it seems sort of obvious that this is a foreshadowing, like a prophetic symbolism of what's going to happen in the future. Um, But at the same time, when you look at it, you're comparing these two scenes, right? The one in Zechariah and one in John. And you go, wait a second, there's a huge difference. What's that huge difference? Jesus has got a crown of thorns. It's not a crown of gold. Jesus is suffering. He just got beat up. What? And you go, wait a second. Why would you have when you're foreshadowing something? Why would you present it as this is the glorious king who's going to sit on his throne and reign and he's got a crown of gold and silver and then the actual fulfillment of it is with a he's beaten up and he's wearing a crown. Of th- what? And I just want to present to you one right now, this evening on, on Good Friday, one thought that I have about that. Why is he leaving such a stark contrast? And this is the same, same contrast that John is leaving us with. It's like he's the king, he's the king. It's mentioned 10 times in this passage that we just read of, of, uh, in John that Jesus is the king. 10 times. He's trying to repeat it get, it, get it into our heads. He's the king, he's the king. But wait, it doesn't, what? King, why is he wearing a crown of, what? And it's because of this. Jesus is displaying his kingly glory by suffering for us out of love. He's he's displaying his kingly glory by suffering for us out of love. Now let's take that image again. Take that image of the behold the man. Just think about that for a second again. Does it make sense now? Does that that make sense? Why would this king be covered in blood and wearing it? It didn't make any sense to Pilate, but does it make sense to us now a little bit? We needed somebody to die in our place. There was nobody else who was taking the leadership. Jesus got it done. Jesus takes the lowest road possible, and does it for us? Is that a king that you can follow? What kind of a leader can you serve? This is one I could I could follow. That's the kind of king I could follow. So, yeah. Let me just put the Philippians 2 up on the screen. See, so Jesus, he, he was, his very nature was God. Let me just have Mike come back up. His very nature was God, and he didn't even use that to his advantage, to get something out of it, to protect himself. could have impressed us with his power, and he didn't. Instead, he made himself nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant. And being made in human likeness, and then being found in appearance as a person, he humbled himself. becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord